Hello, everyone, and welcome to Brands Tech. This episode of the interview show will begin in just one moment, so please stay tuned. Hello, everyone. This is Brandon, and welcome to this episode of the interview show on the Brands Tech Podcast Station. I really hope that everyone's been doing well. So today, I am happy to have my guest for today, Afrata. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you here. And so the way that I always start off my podcast is by first of all asking, how are you today? Okay. Um, well, I'm doing great. Just finishing up some of the internship work. Like I mentioned earlier, I am writing this kind of proposal, just kind of finishing it up because this is my last to give my internship. So I'm just kind of working on that, you know, enjoying the weather when I can look out the window. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, that is great to hear. And so and so before we go into our topic, are you actually able to, to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and some of the stuff you would like to speak about? Yes. Okay. Where do I start? Um, <laughs> so I am 19 years old. My name is Afrani Johannes. I'm 19 years old. Um, I live in Annandale, Virginia. So it's about 15 minutes out of D.C. I went to Annandale High School, decided I wanted to get out of the city a little bit, so I went to UVA, which is in Charlottesville, just two hours out of DC. Um, there I study environmental sciences, and I'm currently doing some research looking at ozone exceedancy rates and trying to build sustainable housing materials out of sustainable natural materials, aka grass. So sort of trying to, what we're doing now is sort of trying to understand if we can use grass and other types of, you know, plant species to replace your traditional stereotypical drywall panel and sort of how um, we can commercialize that type of, uh, that type of housing. Wow, that is really actually great to hear. And I'm actually somewhat fascinated by, by the studies that you said that you're doing. And so if you don't mind me asking, how did you actually get started with, um, with this interest? Because this sounds really fascinating. Yeah, so I actually mentioned two. So the first one that I'm working on is the ozone exceedancy rates. So, I, and this is, I think, a good lesson for everyone. Send cold emails. I, you know, you know, my second year because of COVID and everything, everything was online, right? And so I didn't have that interpersonal relationship or connection with a lot of professors. And I knew I was really interested in research, just learning, right? So I was like, okay. <laughs> You don't have connections, what can I do? Well, I was like, if I don't have any connections, I can go ahead and make some of my own. So I just went out, emailed a bunch of professors saying, hey, I like the research that you're doing. I have this and this experience with Bess. I, you know, tried to incorporate that, you know, to seem like I was interested in challenging myself, that I like to learn new skills and I'm open to that. And, you know, after not getting responses from like dozens of professors one of the professors finally responded and was like hey what do you think about studying ozone exceedancy rates in atlanta and los angeles um and so i was like great that's awesome and so that's what i was working on this past this last semester and what i'll continue to work on hopefully throughout my time here at uva um and so just to make matter you know just to sort of explain it really quickly 
ozone exceedancy rates are essentially studying. So the EPA has a list of different ozone levels that are collected in various metropolitan cities, metropolitan cities. And so in LA, which is a huge, you know, metropolis really, has an ozone exceedancy rate sometimes above the standard. And that standard given, you know, by the EPA is 70 parts per billion. And so my job is to sort of catalog the tens of thousands of uh, data collected from different grid points and location zones throughout LA and the different counties it has, and sort of put it all in a tabular format and see, okay, on what days, on what months, in what year do the ozone, do the ozone levels on this specific county go above that exceedancy rate? So above that 70 parts per billion standard. And I do the same thing in Atlanta, Georgia as well. And so hopefully with all of that information, once I'm done compiling all of that data with Excel and with MATLAB, I'll try to compare it with Tropomi um, and sort of see, you know, compare the low ozone days and high ozone days with the Tropomi satellite and compare that to um, the EPA data. EPA data that's been found here on Earth. So really when I think about it, it's kind of like what the calibration validation scientists do at VEST, which is what you know we, we know about because we just did VEST. So yeah, that's what ozone exceedancy is about. That's what I'm working on. Um, but over the summer, I got an email actually pretty late in May. I was like, eh, I'm not really sure if I'm gonna get any offers because you know it was late May and I'm supposed to hear by early May. Um, but I ended up getting an email from the environmental science department, which was great because I just had declared my major. You declare your major after your second year is complete here at UVA. So I just declared my major, got a mass, you know, listserv email from the environmental science department saying, hey, we're interested in building houses, dot, 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 out of grass. And I was like, what? Like, that does not make sense to me. Um, but, you know, I just kept reading the description and it was saying how it would be so interdisciplinary. So it would be the architecture students working on prototyping. It would be the engineering engineering students working on the tensile strength. And of course, they needed an environmental science student to, you know, initially pick which grasp are we going to use, right? It doesn't matter if you have the engineers and if you have the architects, if you don't know what grass you're going to start with, right? So that's where I came into the picture. Um, and so I just like interviewed, I applied. Thankfully, I got the role. Um, and yeah, I was down in UVA for about a month and a half, working, doing some field work in Charlottesville, collecting various samples, measuring the diameter and the width, um, and sort of studying whether we wanted to have an invasive or native species, because it's really important to realize that, you know, invasive species, while they grow abundantly and they're really efficient from an economical standpoint, because you don't really have to plant them right? They just grow on their own. Um, but at the same time, they do negatively impact the native wildlife and the native plant species and they just take over. So, but at the same time, the native species, while yes, you know, they contribute to the local wildlife, the local aquatic life, they are more difficult to upkeep and manage. And so from an economic standpoint, that not might be the most efficient way to move forward. So kind of thinking which way, you know, we should head is kind of my role as of now. Um, but initially we started with 40 different samples. We didn't know what those samples were. After a lot of research, a lot of books, a lot of talking to scholars um, and professionals in the ecology field, we narrowed it down to about 16 species. And then from there, um, I narrowed it down to about four. And now we're in our top four looking for our top two. And uh, after we get our first pig, we're going to move forward with more prototyping um, 
and uh, hopefully, you know, the longevity of this project will endure and will continue because I think it really is important, you know, to just to, to sort of push the boundaries of what we already know, specifically with things that are deemed traditional, right? Like people always are talking about electric cars and, you know, everything that has to do with, um, I feel like technology, right? Phone, lithium, cars, all of these things, right? But no one really talks about wanting to innovate something that's already established, like a house or a grocery store or a hospital, right? So I feel like the internship or the research project that I'm on now is really in that niche field of trying to expand a field that's typically, that's been static for honestly decades, maybe even centuries. A house has always been like this, like this, like this, with a door in the middle, right? There's no, nothing revolutionary has come about from the housing industry in decades. And so with my, you know, small knowledge in environmental science, trying to make it a little bit more innovative feels like a pretty, you know, cool feat to me. So, you know, that's that's sort of what I'm, I'm working on now. And it's uh, it's it's been great so far. That's been really great to hear. And I, I was just really fascinated by everything that you, know, you had to say before I actually ask questions about that. Are you actually able to tell us a little bit about the best program since you did mention it? Well, I know I, I definitely want to have it explained a little bit for those listening who are unfamiliar. Yes. So VES stands for Virginia Earth System Science Scholars, and it's an academy for high school juniors and seniors. So for six months, they have an intensive online module that sort of quizzes and, and tests their technical writing skills, their research skills, all pertaining to earth science, um, low earth orbit instrumentation. And after, if they do well during that six month module period, then they get selected for a one week academy down in Hampton, Virginia, where they go to NASA Langley, meet with a bunch of different professionals and academics in that field. Um, and they are broken up into four different spheres, the atmosphere, sphere, the lithosphere, the biosphere, and the hydrosphere. And all those separate teams work um, to sort of, they work on their own mission goals, but at the end, they all have one mission, they all have one satellite. So just think about like different different teams in a project all having different objectives to fulfill, but at the end of the day, they're all working together. And so that's what they're doing. They're, you know, working together to shoot one mission into space, um, and then we'll be essentially judged and kind of critiqued at the final presentation, what we call the final panel. And so, you know, as you know, the best scholars are sort of going through that process during that one week intensive, essentially training, which is really a real life experience of what I guess being a like working for NASA would be like or working in the STEM field would be like. We are just there to sort of support them. And we, of course, were in that scholar program before. So we've been in their shoes before. We're just there to guide them, maybe help them, you know, direct them in the right direction in terms of what instruments they should use, how, you know, what mission goals they should have. Each person within the spheres actually have designated roles assigned to them. So we also tell them what their role is specifically about, what their role has to do and how they can contribute to not just their own sphere, but the overall team, including all the spheres. So that's what VES is about. I mean, it's a great, a great way to really learn what real NASA academics and real NASA professionals do. Well, first of all, thank you so much for the explanation for those listening. I hope that that, that helps anyone who's interested in knowing more about that um, listening. But, but also, question for you is, how has the program, if it has, helped you over your 
your, your journey of doing environmental environmental science and even going into the research projects either as a student or intern yeah so the one thing that this does for you is it makes you think Okay, I know that I really want to study environmental engineering, for example, but do you really want to study environmental engineering? You know, so it, the thing about this is it just, you already come into this knowing that you want to do something STEM. You wouldn't sign up and you wouldn't endure all of that hard work if you didn't know that you wanted to continue in STEM. But I think there is a difference in saying, hey, I really want to be an environmental engineer. But then actually going and doing the work, staying up until maybe 1 a.m. to read the decadal survey, working with the other teams, communicating, sending emails, working with the budget. There's a big difference between thinking about something and doing that something. And that's the opportunity that this gives you, right? Because you can dream all you want, but, you know, actually having that the tangible evidence and the paperwork to say, hey, I did this and to come out of it saying, hey, I really liked this experience. I was right. I think it will continue with environmental engineering or environmental science. Or you may leave and say, nah, I really didn't like environmental engineering. For me, it's not my field, but now I know. And I'm glad I have this experience because it's better to experiment now than to experiment when you're in college. And actually, that's what I'm very fortunate about because I did both VES and VAS. And with VAS, I, I was dead set on being an aerospace engineer. Like I knew I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. And so when I came out of VAS, I was like, I like this, but it's it's so it's a, it was a little bit too focused on Mars for me, which is like, oh, of course, it's focused on Mars. But, you know, knowing me, I I love that interdisciplinary work. I love applying international affairs and communications with NASA and engineering. And so for me only to be focused on Mars for that one week or I guess that whole six month module was not really my field. And that's OK. I, you know, I'm glad I went through that. And so when I did this and ultimately when I went into college, I was like, like, okay, I like how VES continues to talk about low Earth orbit and space exploration, but with an emphasis on Earth. Because I know for me, I want to study the Earth. I want, I like that interdisciplinary interdisciplinary work of studying the stars, but also connecting it to something down here on Earth. That's something that I've always wanted to do. And so because of VAST, I knew what I didn't like. Because of VEST, I knew what I did like. And now I'm in college and I'm studying what I love. So, I mean, that's the opportunity that VEST gives you. If I could put it in a couple of sentences or in a couple of words, I would just say VEST gives you the opportunity to experiment and explore. And that's an opportunity that you do not get a lot as a 16 or 17 year old. Yeah. I think that was a really great explanation and yeah, of, of two of the amazing programs offered by the Virginia Space Grant Consortium. I mean, yeah, you know, while I have personally only done the best program, yeah, I mean, I just honestly love the whole experience and especially the academy, but not to focus on that too much though, but I think what one of the ways that you just described it too and, and how, you know, changing up, yeah, changing up the mold of what is, of what you traditionally think and to focus on a different side of things. Cause I know, especially when you think of NASA, you think of space and yeah and going out but the fact that it focuses more back on the earth almost ties right back into what you're saying about your research projects and rethinking the traditional yeah, yeah you know um with my research project i think what i've come to realize and this is also you know my experience through vast and with vast i don't want to discredit vast vast i learned so much at vast that i've applied to vest and now in my research today and i think one of that is learning how to research, conducting literature reviews, you know, it's, uh, you have to do a lot of investigating. You, I mean, in high school, they always tell
tell you, set your sources, you know, be careful, make sure you're really vetting the data that you're observing and confiding in because you really do trust what's online sometimes and, and you shouldn't, not all the time at least. And so best learning how, you know, APA format, learning how to research, which research or which uh, websites or journals are good, how to find these journals, right? Google Scholar is not something I use until VAST or until VEST, right? So now I'm able to, like the moment I want to find something that I know is probably going to give me accurate information, I don't even go to Google anymore. I just say Google Scholars and then I get all my journal publications that I know are probably accurate. Um, so that's one thing that Bess has given that I now apply for my research. Um, I think specifically when I think of earth sciences and when I think of sort of, uh, you put it very, very well, I think, reimagining the traditional or reimagining the ordinary um, is that with, with the earth, whenever we study, or I guess in the universe, whenever we study the stars or Mars or anything really, we're always comparing that information to earth. Earth is like the first data point on a set of on a set of other data points on that graph earth will always be the one thing that we compare everything else that we see out beyond the stars right and so i think learning more about earth can actually help us learn more about mars and learn more about space exploration and all of that and um actually with with what i'm doing now using brass panels to create um cylindrical prototypes um brick prototypes woven prototypes so literally like weaving the grass together and, and forming it into a panel shape. All of these things can be applied one day to build housing on Mars, to build a habitat on Mars. I know when I did VAST on the human factors team, our number one criteria was making sure our humans did not die. So making sure that a habitat was secure would make them feel, would protect them from radiation. Here on Earth, the problem isn't radiation. Here on Earth, we just worry about making sure that we're warm, making sure we're not too cold, right? And so, you know, whatever we do on Mars, whether it's radiation or on Earth, whether it's protecting us from the elements outside, there's a common denominator and it's it's that the, habit, the habitats always need to be there. Um, and I think now using the grass panels um, to sort of using what we already have on Earth without really manipulating the grass too much. It's not like we're taking concrete and mixing it with water and goes through that reaction and you cement it all together. No, this is just you pluck the grass from the ground, you form it in the shape you want. Maybe you put a bioresin on top and then you bada bing bada boom now you have a panel right and so using what we already have on earth is something that astronauts are going to have to do on mars what do they all have on mars they have regolith they have martian dust can they use martian dust to protect from radiation can we use grass to protect us from the elements and build a sustainable house i don't know these are things that like we're trying to do and i feel like there's so much of an overlap between the two if that makes sense yeah it absolutely does and i mean just so far even though you know, we've only been speaking for a little bit. I mean, I've just learned so much from just everything that you've that you've been saying. And I mean, and I completely agree with you. Know, it's like, if, you know, no matter how far we get, it's like, we're always going to say, well, in comparison to Earth, you know, so and so planet is this, 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 and even, you know, this star, it's so and so, um, you know, different from the sun. And yeah, you know, we're always going to compare it back because of course, this is our base of knowledge. So it's like, why don't we just get more information about the Earth? And truly you know learn more about it before we you know before we go too far yeah yeah no that's really true and i think that um you know just 
I think it's a fact that we only know what 95%, we don't know actually, we don't know 95% of the ocean or maybe it's 90%, you know, just facts like that. It's like, wow, you know, we're really out here studying Mars and the stars, which is beautiful, of course, but it can only go so far without us understanding Earth too, you know? We've been here for millenniums, humans that is. And so, yeah, no, Earth really is the foundation of all knowledge that we have of, of all of our planetary systems and bodies. And so, yeah, and I think it's, I think it's also bigger, there's a bigger push and I would say a bigger need to study the Earth right now, considering, you know, how much uh, pollution has been affecting ozone concentrations, how it's, you know, been, a, it's, it's resulted in a lot of kind of like stranger, more severe weather phenomenon. And so with that in mind, I think, you know, there environmental science has this this urge factor to it. Like it it demands you know more, you know, because it's never constant, right? It changes all the time. The climate always changes and the weather always changes. Everything changes about the earth. And so I think with that in mind, like in the same way that earth always demands us of more, we have to demand more of ourselves and we have to continue like pushing and pushing and pushing. And so I think that's why the research that I'm doing now is so, I think I just love it because I know it's, it's pushing me and because the earth is always, you know, changing and, and evolving, I have to keep up with that. You know, I really do. And so um, finding new ways to, to, to build housing is just something that I, that I thought was always interesting. And it's weird because civilizations in America and across the world have been using, you know, natural resources to build their homes all the time, you know, it's been going on for a really, really long time. And you know, what makes us different now? Why can't we go back to it now? And I think the main reason why we can't go back to it is commercialism. I think that, you know, when whenever you, whenever you say natural or sustainable, people think of living outside like a hippie, living in a grass teepee, that's not the case. We can still have a house with, you know, a wall like this, that's just made of grass. We just have to find a way to, you know, divert the structure a little bit, manipulate it a little bit more. Um, but it's not, it's not impossible. And I don't know. I think it's, I, I think it's a really uh, fascinating topic to me. So. Yeah, I definitely agree that yeah, it is really fascinating. And so, yeah. And so for you in these next um, few minutes that, um, that we have to, you know, continue speaking, I mean, so as you mentioned before it's like in a time that we have you know that we're really trying to push for you know for more sustainable resources to be used and yeah and for new energy sources to be found how what are your thoughts about how you know like you said that some of the research you're doing is really just taking some of the stuff that we don't think about like how do you think that we can you know get people to i guess to realize that you know, there are these other options that it doesn't always have to be, you know, like you said, commercialism and that we're so like adjusted to the way it is now. Like, how would you hope that people are able to find out more about using these sustainable resources in the future? Yeah, you know, I feel like whenever people are asked that question, like, oh, what can we do to make people understand why sustainability is important? A lot of people will just say education, like they just need to be educated. Um, I would push back a little bit and I would say it's you can educate someone all you want you can give them a book but you can't you can lead a horse to water but you cannot make that horse drink so in my experience from what I've seen um, 
you know, just with people that I know and the people I don't know even online, the one way that you're going to get people to, to be convinced about why sustainability is important is for them to experience what life would be like without the world functioning normally, right? So for, you know, like no one's going to know that fire is hot unless they touch it, right? No one's going to believe in the climate crisis unless there's flooding in their backyard and that's never happened to them before. No one's going to believe in, I don't know, the rain patterns affecting crop production until they look in their backyard and they don't have any more crops to harvest, right? So sometimes, unfortunately, things have to impact you for you to believe it. And I think that's going to be the case with a lot of people, sadly. You know, there's because at this point, if you really wanted to know, you could know. You really could know. And I know it's not the most optimistic thing ever, but I think it's the truth. When things affect people and when things affect their money, that's when they start getting riled up, right? If you touch someone's pocket, it's not even about their health. It's about their money, you know? So the moment that something can adversely affect their economic status, uh, you know, perhaps cost in, in, in basic necessities like food and water, that's only the real, that's truly the only way that people are gonna budge until it, it affects their pockets here at home. It has to be an intimate uh, uh, negative effect on them. And, you know, in a lot of places in the world, we're already seeing that now. We saw the floods in Germany happening not too long ago. People are still suffering from that. We've seen droughts. We've seen locusts in East Africa happening last year in both Ethiopia and Kenya. That's been devastating for local farmers there. And, you know, the trophic cascade is a real thing, too. You know, what happens, a butterfly fluttering in China is going to create a hurricane in California, you know. That's not exactly how the phrase goes, but the the theory of it is true. Everything really does affect everything. Everything really is a cycle and a trophic cascade. Um, but, you know, to, to put it simply, even with the trophic cascade, even with everything in academia and all these resources online, I really do believe that the only way for people to understand the need for sustainability is when it kind of hurts them in their pocket when it hits home, you know? Yeah. That is one thing that I have noticed over the years in my years of you know personal research that that I've done that that tends to actually be the case a lot of times. And so, you know, I think while we could probably go for hours on examples of that happening and, you know, it still happens, um, unfortunately, but but but, you know, over these next few years and continuing your um, research at the University of um, Virginia and through your research projects, what are you most fascinated to to learn, understand, work on, or anything of that nature? I am just, I haven't exactly nailed it yet, but I know I want to do something that affects, positively affects people um, in various communities in East Africa. Um, I think humanitarian crisis, crises, war, drought, I think all of that, you know, obviously affects um, people's quality of life and it'll ultimately affect um, crop production, agricultural production, um, and even uh, inaccessibility to housing, proper housing. So for me, I truly, I'm just the type of person that is willing to dive in sometimes with both eyes closed and sort of hope for the best. Um, but as long as I do something that really positively has the opportunity to um, affect people in, a, in a, an amazing way, then 
I, I would be happy with that. I mean, it could be anything to, you know, as simple as creating a sanitation facility in a rural community in Namibia, you know, for example, or a retreat, for example. anything like that, I am all for. Um, I think the inaccessibility of water and food is going to be my priority to focus on. I think that's what I really want to hone in on. Our population as a species is growing exponentially. We're going to reach 9 billion before we know it. Um, so, you know, and with these different weather events, phenomenons happening, I think that, you know, I would rather put all my attention onto something that's not only um, for the sake of curiosity and for the sake of exploring, but something that I know is going to affect people well um, and affect people um, in the best way. So, and yeah, and to, to put things plainly, to ensure that people have proper housing, maybe I could continue to hone in on the research that I'm doing now at UVA with, you know, creating sustainable housing materials out of sustainable materials like grass or hay or anything like that in other countries I would love to do. Again, the sanit sanitation facility is another great idea. Um, oh, creating local wells. There is a well, there are different, um, excuse me, local dams in India called Garrets or Garats. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it, but Garrets, we can say, is um, essentially what farmers have to control the water coming in and out. They store some of that water when there's a surplus. They leak some of that water when they need it to feed their crops. It's an irrigation system, essentially. And so maybe helping local communities install that is something that I would love to work on. I think a lot of the times, you know, environmental scientists and even anthropologists, engineers, just people as a whole, when you're coming into another country, you need to have um, an emic perspective. Perspective, so a perspective of the people living there, of the people of the culture, and how they how they thrive and survive there. I don't think what works in an in an American household is going to work for any Ethiopian household. It's just not going to happen, right? There's different culture cultures different historical legacies that just won't let that be. And so going in with, a, you know, a different mindset, trying to learn, yes, you know, this is what works for this local community, but how can we make it better without trying to pressure the local community, you know, with Western or any other idea that is, you know, not right is something that I would be interested in. Um, and yeah. Well, that is honestly all great to hear. And yeah, I just really, would like to point that I honestly really love that, you know, that with all of the work that you're doing and all the work that you aspire to do, that you're all doing it to better help others. That's something I always, you know, love to hear. And yeah, especially even with the research that you're doing now, like it will help not just, you know, people now, but people down the line, generations to come. And so I honestly want to say that I very much appreciate all of the work that that you do for yourselves, the local community, and even the global community um, down the line as well. Well, <laughs> thank you. I'm still still just a little little college kid, but uh, thank you. Thanks, Brandon. Absolutely. And with that being said, we will continue this conversation in just one moment. So please stay tuned. All right, so first of all, welcome back. And it is truly, once again, been an honor to speak with you. And so I definitely want to ask before 
yeah, before we go, is there anything else that you would like to say? Anything we didn't, that we didn't have time to touch on or anything that you would like to say for those listening? Maybe even questions for me that you would, um, that you would like to say. Yeah, so I heard that you were studying communications. Yes. And I was interested to know, you studying communications, how did you apply that knowledge to VESS as a VESS intern? So that is a great question. So for me as a intern, you know, it, it was, it's interesting because I feel like I applied it a lot and it's not really something that you would seemingly associate, you know, with each other. In fact, whenever anyone would ask, like, really? It's like, you're not like a direct STEM major. It's like, no, it's like, but I think, you know, what I do, yeah, really helps. It really matters. So for me, like with each of the students coming in for both the weeks at the program um, went on, um, you know, of course, different sets of students, but is that I really wanted to be able to speak with them first and communicate with them and see how they're doing. Because even as, you know, having the perspective of a former student as well, I know that a lot of times I like to sit back and observe a little bit before I give too much input, really because I like to understand the environment and understand where it's coming from. And, and so for me, it's not that I don't want to ask questions because those who know me, I ask a ton of questions. It's just that that for me, I like to be able to let others have a chance to speak. And so for me as an intern, you know, whenever there's anyone who's, you know, maybe I haven't heard from as much, or maybe if the classroom, because this year it was all virtual due to um, the ongoing pandemic, but, you know, whenever the classroom is silent, I like to come in and say, hey, what is everyone working on? Yeah, is everyone having a good experience and actually being able to have a conversation while that sounds off topic, it helps people to feel more comfortable with actually asking questions and asking the serious questions and overall getting a better understanding. And I think even like on the podcast, that's one of the things I love to do is to hear other people's stories and hear what they love to do, um, such as, you know, hearing what your story as well. And so one of the things that I was in charge of for the program was actually the outreach people and applied scientists who have to, yeah, who have to apply this information that is given in all the scientific terms and make, you know, make the people at home understand why should I care about this? Why is any of this relevant? You know, aren't you NASA people just supposed to do this for, for us and, and, you know, just take care of the world for us. But I think that has been an honest joy, like to really, to really go through all of this and really, yeah, help them understand and have yeah a similar, if not greater, experience than than I had with the program. And so, what I love about the program too is that you continuously learn. Whether you are a student uh, intern, a master teacher, a coordinator, is that we all continue to learn and educate ourselves and that we learn so much through each other. And so as a communication major, I feel like I get like a little bit of all of it, especially with the, the diversification I have of my, I guess, resume. It's like, I've done this, I've done that, but it's not just the traditional stuff you associate. It's, it's like all over the place. I mean, you know, VESS is like geology and, you know, you know, and the earth and everything. And usually, I don't know if you'd really associate that a lot with a communication major, but... Yeah, I think getting these experiences, getting these opportunities and being able to help educate others, I think that's honestly been one of the ways I've used 
it um at the most i'm not sure if that answers your question or not no it does answer my question i think it's so cool how you being a communications major have found a way to not only tie it to vest but tie it to like your normal life aka your podcast communications podcast obviously goes hand in hand but what you talk about in your podcast is what really makes it unique and what you talk about is stem you talk about science technology engineering and math and that just sort of it it, it diversifies your portfolio and i think it makes you seem really cool not just on paper but like just like communicating with you you know just talking to you like you have a broader knowledge of um or a, a broader depth um of different fields than maybe other communication majors might have. So I think that's really cool. And I think that's also a good message to send out to, you know, your viewers who are not really sure what to study. Maybe they're already in undergrad, maybe they're confused in undergrad, maybe they're 15 and you know, they just got into high school, you know. But I think knowing that just because you are studying one major, just because you want to focus on this one thing does not make you limited. to that one thing. You really have the opportunity to to diversify and actually you should diversify. You know, you really should. I I really recommend that because the world is not just it's not just black and white. I mean, even again like with the research I'm doing now, there's people who are physics majors. There's people who are like art design majors or web design majors. There's people who are chemical engineers, mechanical engineers, and you would think when you talk about grass and building houses, You would think it's just oh an ecologist and maybe a civil engineer helping you build it but no there's so many other moving parts and you know when you go out into the real world you'll start noticing that there's so many job opportunities it's not just engineering and liberal arts and you know entrepreneurship right there's so many other little nooks and crannies in between those three so i think that's that's another thing to keep in mind that is really great to hear and thank you so much afrada for coming on to the podcast and speaking all about everything that you do and best of luck to you and all your projects i'd love to hear yeah you know, all about it and so definitely keep me updated thank you thank you yeah i definitely will let you know what's going on um just just glad to be here and glad to speak with you hey absolutely anytime and So I'm actually campus ambassador for Defend Our Future, which is associated with the Environmental Defense Fund up in DC. It's a nonpartisan, uh, nonprofit organization that focuses on climate solutions um, from a legislative perspective and trying to engage local students at their community um, or at their, you know, in their campuses to really engage with different um, ecological, environmental, legislative issues. Um so if you want to reach me you can reach me at the email I use for that which is ephrataya@gmail.com um I also have an Instagram account which I talk a lot about environmental science on my stories <laughs> um and that's just ephruu it's just my handle name um yeah well that is great to hear and I hope that those of you listening definitely take advantage of those thank you so much if I once again for being here it's always a pleasure pleasure to speak with you and have a great rest of your day and for those of you listening have a wonderful day everyone stay safe stay well and i'll talk to y'all later